as the lead pastor here at Shark Chapel. I've got a cracking Old Testament text for us this morning, so if you want to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6, it's going to give you a great verse, uh, parents of teenagers, to use this week. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, page one, uh, 639 in the church Bibles, 639 in the church Bibles. Ready, here we go. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Isn't that great? Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. This is God's word. Well, I read this week that Ed Sheeran was officially the world's best-selling musician in 2017. Put the next slide on. Uh, beating uh, Drake, who I discovered is not a duck, but actually a, a rap artist and Taylor Swift. So having heard that um, Ed's third album, Divide, was uh, sort of being classified a multi-platinum in 32 markets, I thought I'd have a listen to it on Spotify on the way home on the bus. And the track that really grabbed hold of me was sort of an autobiographical song called Eraser. And I'm gonna read you some of the lyrics. I've, I've modified some of them for the sake of being in church. And this is what he says. I used to think that nothing could be better than touring the world with my songs. I chased the picture-perfect life. I think they painted it wrong. I think that money is the root of all evil and fame is hell. Relationships and hearts you fix, they break as well. And ain't nobody want to see you down in the dumps because you're living a dream, man. This stuff should be fun. So here's a man uh, who's played massive stadiums. He's made lots of money from his music, and I find this lyric absolutely fascinating. Money and fame is what lots of people dream of, and yet, um, despite hearing the testimonies of lots of famous wealthy people like Ed Sheeran, who says it does not deliver, we still get fixated on thinking that maybe it would work for us. Money is a topic that we just get so muddled about. And so we're running a little series, a mini-series called uh, Giving for Gospel Growth, just to listen to what God has to say to us about how to wisely relate to money and wealth. And so far in the series, uh, we've considered the following things about money. Firstly, God owns all the money. Uh, the world is his creation. And so everything in it belongs to him including money and wealth, which, he's, which is something that he's given to us for our benefit. Secondly, mankind perverts God's good purposes for money by setting it up as a sort of a, 
a false god, an idol. Ed Sheeran is wrong in his lyric. Money is not uh, the root of all kinds of evil, but certainly the love of money is. And we so readily take God's good gifts and, um, and we end up loving and serving them instead of loving and serving the God, the creator God who gave us all these things. And greed is a very powerful form of idolatry. There's many more warnings about the dangers of greed than almost anything else in the Bible. But I don't think we are really aware of how much it can grab hold of our hearts. Uh, I've forgotten who said this, what preacher, but often the last thing that gets converted in a, in a person is their wallet. This is how powerfully greed wraps its tentacles around us. Thirdly, we need to be wary of money's seductive power so that we don't chase after it. And fourthly, instead we need to cultivate a contentment with what God has given us. So that's what we've kind of looked at so far. And so we're going to think about this next question now. Uh, we're going to consider, well, what should we do with our money? We're certainly to be thankful to God for his generosity. We're to be careful not to be lured into serving money. But what should we do with what we have? Does the Bible teach us any sort of principles or about acquiring and using money? And the good news is, yes, it does. And for the next three sermons today and the next two that will follow, we're going to consider three key attitudes that the Bible teaches and the first one we're going to consider today is that of prudence. Prudence. It sounds, um, it sounds a quaint sort of word, doesn't it? So it sounds like the, the name of some great aunt in some classic novel. Uh, I seem to recall that Gordon Brown, when he was Chancellor of the Exchequer, he often presented his budgets describing his policies as prudent. And as a son of the manse, you know, where did he get that from? Well, he got the whole concept from the Bible. Uh, the book of Proverbs offers us a lot of God-centered, common-sense advice to help us think about how to handle and manage our finances. So we're going to dip into Proverbs this morning, just think about some major themes that it has relating to finance and wealth. And according to Proverbs there's a right way of getting money and a wrong way of getting money. The wrong way, if we could move on to the next slide, is to gain it by theft, robbery, or deceit. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood, let's ambush some harmless soul... Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. 
So the, the, the writer wants to caution his, uh, his son, as it were, that actually this pathway of, of deceitful gaining of wealth will actually come boomeranging back and bring harm to you. Or Proverbs 11, verse 1. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. See, this is the wrong way to gain wealth, by, by deceitful means. Uh, this sort of covers any sort of dodgy or corrupt ways of getting rich. So what's the right way? Well, the right way is to earn your money through honest work and wise investment of your resources. The Bible's primary answer to the problem of poverty is work and business. And it's very consistent in its warnings to those who could work, but don't through laziness. So back to our great text, Proverbs 6, verse 6. Next slide. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. I think this is beautiful. That the God um, who creates everything is a wise God. And he's actually even built wisdom into his creation. And if we're going to be good scientists and examine it, we can actually learn things that will help us. And it turns out that slugs can learn a lot from ants. Go to the ant. Next slide, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it stores up its provisions in summer and gathers its food in harvest. See, what is prudence? Prudence is about thinking ahead. It's about forethought. It's diligently working hard today when you have opportunity to provide for your material needs in the future. Because there are there are times ahead where scarcity will happen. There are times ahead where you will not be able to work in the way you can work now. At times, uh, I've met people in life who act as if it's very spiritual to, think, to, 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 uh, to not think about the future and simply say, well, I'm just leaving it all up to the Lord. And the thing that they've ne neglected to, to observe is that the Lord's already told you, go to the ant, you sluggard, Right? The Lord's already told you. It is prudent to work uh, for our money and then use our resources wisely. To, restore up, uh, to store up our resources in times of plenty so that we have the necessary resources in times of want. That's the essence of prudence. It is, a, it is practical wisdom that shows good discernment in preparing for the future. Do you remember Joseph? Uh, and uh, after uh, he gets a revelation from God that uh, solves what was going on in Pharaoh's dream about the seven fat cows and the seven lean cows coming out and gobbling up the seven fat cows, he tells the king what's going to happen, the Pharaoh, and then he sort of gives him this wise, prudent advice. They should appoint someone who will collect in a fifth of the harvest in the good years. And store it up for the, the seven years of famine so they can provide for the nation. And for his prudent suggestions, uh, he was offered the top job and became the second most powerful person in the kingdom. Prudence is the essential principle, I guess, behind savings and, and pension provision. When the Reverend Henry Duncan saw the poverty of his parishioners in Dumfrieshire, 
in 1810, he founded the first self-supporting trustee savings bank, or as we know it, the TSB. And he did it to help them manage their annual wages so they could work their way out of poverty. See, it is prudent to ensure that uh, your business is prospering before you focus too much on spending life to make, uh, spending money on yourself to make life more comfortable. So in Proverbs 24, 27, it says this, put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and the new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You'll have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family. There are always people out there seeking to take your money, promising to, uh, to, to help you get rich quick without you having to do any work. Let me tell you right now, they're lying to you. The Ponzi scheme is only making one person very wealthy. Don't be fooled. Proverbs 12, verse 11. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Prudence is also about learning to be careful in managing your resources. So Proverbs 21, 20 says this, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. 21, verse 17, Whoever loves pleasure will suffer want. Whoever loves wine and oil will not be rich. And so it's prudent to manage our spending and our consumption. And so many people find it helpful to set up a kind of a personal budget, which I'll talk about at the end of the sermon this morning. This teaching from Proverbs is so practical, isn't it? God actually cares about how we manage our personal finances. He's given us wisdom in his word that we would think about this and be able to act on it. And this teaching from Proverbs is picked up in the New Testament as we've already read this morning from 2 Thessalonians. And it follows on the same biblical wisdom. So Paul reminds the, the Christians in Thessalonica about the command that he often taught them when he discipled them. Keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to teachings you receive from us. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. I think this was Margaret Thatcher's favorite text, wasn't it? I think she even quoted it up on the mound once to the Church of Scotland. But this is a biblical teaching. Uh, the one who's unwilling to work, now we understand that some people are not able to work. They're, they're willing, but they're not able. And we're going to get on to how we care for those in a moment. But those who are, uh, who is unwilling to work when they could, well, they should not eat, says the Bible. Becoming a Christian creates and transforms a new work ethic. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, the Apostle Paul teaches uh, this. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. 
Now, this is the wonderful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, if you're here for the first time, if you've never heard the good news about Jesus, it, it is quite simply this, that although we, God has created us in his image to, to live for his glory, that's not how we live. We live as if we're at the center. We live as if we're the most important thing. And as I said earlier, we're, we're in danger of worshiping the created things rather than the creator. And actually, our relationship with God is disrupted. It's broken because of that, because of the way that we've treated God and related to God. And yet God in his amazing grace has not left us just being people who deserve his judgment. In his, in his kindness, he sent his son Jesus into the world to live the life that we couldn't live and to die the death that we deserved, taking the punishment for our sins upon himself so that we who are idolaters, sinners, can be forgiven and cleansed and made right with him. And all we need to do is, is, is repent, turn away from our sin and trust Christ and we'll be completely forgiven today. That, this is the glorious good news. And the wonderful thing about this good news is that when Jesus comes into our life, he makes us brand new people. And he transforms the way we think about things. And I think this text from Ephesians 4 is a wonderful example of that. What does the gospel do to people? Well, the thief stops stealing and moves from being a taker to being a giver. See, the dishonest way of, of, of acquiring money must stop, and the right way to move forward is honest work, for Ephesians 4, 28. But look at the motive that the gospel gives us. Why, do, why should we work? This is so radically different to the why the world thinks we work. Why does the world think we work? The world thinks we work so we can have more stuff for ourselves. Ephesians 4, 28, the thief is told, get some work so that you can have some money to give to those in need. And I tell you what, that is a powerful illustration of how the gospel changes and transforms people. And I've met people who were thieves, who were take, take, take people, and God's grace has turned them around, and they've worked, and they've been those who start giving to others. It is a wonderful thing what the Lord Jesus can do in people's lives. So how should we view wealth and poverty? Well, the book of Proverbs teaches us not to overvalue money, to understand its place. Uh, there, are, there are definite advantages to, to, to wealth over poverty. But we need to understand that there are more important things than wealth, like integrity or a good reputation. So Proverbs 16, verse 8, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Or Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. Because we know that ultimately, uh, God is not impressed with our money, and, and money is, is useless when it comes to God's assessment. Proverbs 11, verse 4, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. A wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Of Proverbs 11:28, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. The thing about money is it's very deceptive. What it promises to us, you know, if you have money, then you have security. That's the, that's the, the lie that it wants us to swallow. But Proverbs points out that it's not dependable at all. It has a very curious ability just to suddenly disappear. Proverbs 23, verse 4 and 5. Do not 
Wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. But at the same time, the book of Proverbs doesn't sort of think that being poor is something intrinsically good or spiritual. Rather, in fact, it's a terrible blight, a misery that should be avoided. Proverbs 10 verse 15 says this, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Proverbs 13.8, a person's riches may ransom their life, but the poor cannot respond to threatening rebukes. Proverbs 14.20, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. And um, there are many challenges to those who experience poverty, but the one that hurts the most is the sense of exclusion that people have, the, the feeling of isolation from the rest of society that, that their poverty brings about. And so understanding a, a right attitude towards money, not overvaluing it, uh, and yet realizing that poverty is, is not exactly a, a great thing to be aiming for, the book of Proverbs has this wonderful realistic prayer, the prayer of Agur, uh, and Proverbs chapter 13 verse 7 to 9, it says this, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. It's a modest prayer, but a very wise prayer. It presents us that there are challenges to both poverty and wealth. I think we understand the challenges of poverty, but we rarely consider the challenges of wealth. Wealth can make us proud. It gives us a false sense that, that we are in some way independent from God. We have this phrase, he, he was a self-made man or a self-made woman. And of course, that's a, that's, a, that's a nonsense. You're not self-made at all. And it can make it very hard uh, for wealthy people to humble themselves before God and see their spiritual need. And so, as a rich young ruler walked away from Jesus being very sad because the Bible says he was very wealthy, Jesus turned to his disciples and said this, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Disciples were amazed at this. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When we hear that somebody has come into a large inheritance or somehow has got a big stash of cash, we kind of secretly we sort of feel a bit envious. Actually, we should, feel, we should feel concerned for them. For there are great dangers that come upon the wealthy. And so this prayer of Agur that is a helpful one to help us grow in godly contentment. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. 
And the Apostle Paul reminds his ministry apprentice, Timothy, of the importance of godly contentment. In, in chapter 6, he says this of 1 Timothy, Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. Now, here's some truths. For we brought nothing into the world. You came into it stark naked. And we can take nothing out of it. You take none of it with you. And so if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy. Now before we turn to some, of the, some practical matters about being prudent with our own finances, I want us just to hear the, these challenging, uh, the challenging teaching of Proverbs about how the wealthy should relate to the, the poor. Because it does say some things to us. And in Proverbs 14 verse 21 it says this, It is a sin to despise one's neighbor. But blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. In Proverbs 28, verse 27, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Now why should we love and care for the poor so much? Well, the answer for the book of Proverbs is this, because they too are made in the image of God. And to show contempt for them, merely because they are poor, is to show contempt for the God who made them and who is also our judge. So Proverbs 14.31, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And conversely, to be open-handed with the poor is considered lending to God. Look at Proverbs 19, verse 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward them for what they have done. And so it's unsurprising that Christians have often been at the forefront of seeking to tackle issues of poverty. When the Lord has given us wealth, uh, we get the opportunity to bless those who are poor with our giving. The New Testament teaches this, do good to all, especially the household of faith. And so as a church, we have a fellowship fund uh, so that we can help members with acute financial needs. But wise Christians also have, have sought to avoid creating an unhealthy dependency culture because the answer to poverty in the Bible is not handouts, but work and business for those who are able. And um, so the Reverend Henry Duncan, who set up the TSB, uh, modeled a way that, that, that these workers could, could begin to work together to help themselves. And, and similarly, we see Tear Fund and other charities are finding new creative ways in the two-thirds world now of helping people out of poverty uh, and away from dehumanizing kind of welfare dependency culture by helping communities start little savings banks together and, and offering people little microloans so they can um, start little businesses to help them work their way out of poverty in a sustainable way so they can bless their families and the wider community. And so we've done this little survey here of um, what the book of Proverbs has taught. It's going to be a rainy, wet afternoon. I commend you the book of Proverbs. When you sit down and start reading through, you'll find it will help you in all sorts of areas, not just your money. But I want us to think about our, our own finances today. 
All of us are God's stewards of his resources. He's entrusted, all of us have got different amounts of it, but he's all entrusted us with with money and wealth. And, And the question this morning is, how would you describe your own record in managing the money God has given you? If all money is his money and he's made you a steward of it, how are you doing managing the resources that God has entrusted to you in your life? We saw last week the danger of merely uh, storing up our treasure on earth, the danger of making money as our God. But we're not told to renounce money as something intrinsically evil, but instead we're to learn to use our money and wealth in a prudent way, in a godly way that provides for our family and blesses others. And we're surrounded by a culture that thinks debt's the way forward. Don't, you know, don't wait, buy it now, get it on credit. And so we need to think about what we're going to do as Christians in the light of what God has said about prudence And I want to just give some really practical advice as I finish today. Now, many of you might have got this all down and it's not a problem to you at all. Uh, But maybe for some, um, this might be helpful to you. It's stuff that I don't think, um, I think I had to learn over life that I picked up. And what I'm going to say now, some of it, it's just advice. I'm moving away from just saying this is what the Bible says you must do. This is more just some advice to think about. And you, you can discuss together whether you think it's good advice or whether you've got better advice. But it may help some people to think about what it means practically to be prudent. First thing, make a personal budget and control your spending. Um, do you know where your money is going? Have you ever sat down and worked out how did you spend your money last month? It's very easy in our culture to never be aware. We just spend, spend, spend. Do you, have, you, have you worked out where your money's going? Have you ever sat down and actually thought, I'm going to create a budget and determine where my money is going to be spent on in advance? Now, this is a whole game changer, isn't it? to determine uh, where every pound is going to go from your salary before you've started spending. Work out how you're going to spend your money, including how you're going to give to support gospel work, because I think it's an important thing. Many people have found it helpful for a season to move to a cash economy, because it turns out that people who spend with debit and credit cards uh, tend to spend uh, more money than those who use cash, because there's something about having cash and pulling it out make you think, do I really want to spend this money? It feels much more real than your credit cards. Uh, there's been a few times in um, our life, uh, Shona and I, where we've decided just to live on cash. You know, after the pay comes in, turn it into cash, to put it, put it in envelopes for week one, week two, week three, week four, and we know that's how much money we've got for the week. Or, you know, certain amount for groceries, certain amount for this, certain amount for that. And you know, when the envelope's empty, it's gone. And you might take a little microloan from another bit of your envelope, but you know that that's where it's come from. it, it, It just begins to bring a little bit of structure to your giving. And then the key thing is sticking to your plan. This is the tricky thing, isn't it? 
For anyone who's decided to diet and lose weight, you know this. The tricky thing is following through on the plan, and it's the same with uh, taking control of your financial spending. And here's the very simple principle. If you spend more money than you earn, you've got big problems, you're going into debt. And being prudent is learning to live on uh, less than you earn. It's a very simple principle. If you want to be prudent, live on less than you earn. And with that extra little bit of money, here's some things that people find prudent. Um, create a little emergency fund so that when you get a surprising bill, which we, will always happen in life, you don't go into more debt to pay it because you've got a little buffer. Next thing, start paying off your debts. Uh, if you've got a whole bunch of credit card debts, my friends, cut up your credit cards, live on less than you've got, and start paying off your credit card debts. Start one debt at a time. And, and, we, and once you've paid off that debt, the money that you were paying to service that debt, add that to your, the bit of extra you've got, and then pay on the next one. And it's a snowballing effect as you go and try and knock off your debts. Think about getting rid of the stuff that has higher interest payments than low interest payments. Fourthly, if you're in large debts that are really out of control, then there's, really, there's great help out there. And there's a great group called Christians Against Poverty. There are other groups as well like this, but I think Christians Against Poverty do a wonderful job. Um, there's, a, there's a CAP center, I think, just up the road at Central. And you can go to the website and get help. And, they, and they'll actually send a coach who will sit down with you, help you to, to bring out all your debts, understand all your debts, negotiate with you a budget. They'll work with your debtors to arrange a, a repayment plan and they will coach you to help stay on track so you can get out of debt. And for many people, this, is, this has literally been a lifesaver because debt can take you to absolute despair. My friends, when you get to that great point where you've cleared your debt, with that little extra surplus in your budget, start putting it into savings and create a little buffer where you've got a few months of your living costs. Start thinking about putting your money and investing in things for the future because one day you're going to get old and you're not going to be able to work. So that's called a pension plan, isn't it? I think the government's enforcing everyone's getting a pension plan. But you need to think about putting money in for the future. And as your wealth grows, be increasingly generous. What we're prayerfully encouraging our, our members to do is to, to look at their giving and prayerfully consider, can they increase their giving? Can you, can you give a bit more to the work of the gospel in this church? As we saw last week, the Lord Jesus taught us um, it's wise to store up your money in heaven. The, the stuff you store on earth just rusts and gets stolen and disappears. And the point is you can't take it with you, but as we learned from Randy Alcorn last week, you can send it ahead. You can store up treasures in heaven. So that is our, our first biblical attitude to money. It's prudence. And there are two more talks coming over, over the next few months. And we're going to think about two other biblical attitudes, which are faithfulness and generosity. 
Now, for some of you, this is just so blindly obvious you've been doing it all your lives. But my guess is that there may be some people you've never really thought about this. I want to say how encouraging that the Bible has some practical wisdom to teach us. The God who controls the universe and, and, and millions of stars actually cares about you and your finances. And he's given us teaching so that we may be wise. And we can steward the resources he's given us, steward them for his glory and to be a blessing. If you've got any questions, um, come and speak to me, uh, Bruce, Robert. If you've got some practical points, you'd like us to uh, direct some resources out there that might help you. Remember the CAP website if you're really struggling with debt. Come and, come and let us know. But let's just finish with prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you have blessed us in so many ways. We thank you for all the material blessings that we enjoy in this country. Father, we want to thank you for the great riches that you've given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, please forgive us for the times we've been unfaithful to you with our money. Forgive our times of greed self-absorption, and discontentment. Please help us to cultivate a godly attitude towards money, to grow in contentment and generosity, and to be able to work diligently. Please give us prudence and wisdom as we manage our finances and all the resources you've entrusted to us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.